part of my job to inspire people to love our country and believe in our democracy is to help candidates who I think understand what honor is and integrity just by the way they've lived their lives to think about running and to support them in running. Because yes, I would have loved to have been a senator. I would have loved it. I feel like I could have done a lot of good for this country, but it was never about me. It was about getting better leaders for our democracy. This great, awesome country that we love, I want leaders I'm proud of, and I want to help get them elected. And so that's what this is about. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. The woods behind my house as a kid were a magical place. In the dark forest of maple, oak, sycamore, walnut trees, I was able to be in and of this world while creating worlds of my own. But it was more than a place for play. It was a place to learn. I not only learned about the varieties of trees and animals, I learned about life. I learned lessons on how to be a good human for my mother. I'll never forget the rush of excitement I would have when we would go on these walks. I also never forget the moments of frustration that inevitably came. As we'd wind our way deeper into the woods, it would happen. She'd see something, a can, a bottle, plastic bag, sometimes a tire, some piece of trash off in the distance. And no matter where it was or how hard it was to get to, she would make an effort to get it. She'd make her way over, pick it up, throw it in the trash bag she always brought with her. Every piece she saw, every piece she could reach, she would grab. And six-year-old me would get so annoyed and patient. Why do we keep stopping? Why is it our job to pick up other people's trash? This is where she'd teach. And her response was succinct. We need to do our part to keep these woods and this world beautiful. As a 40-year-old man, I find myself appreciating more and more the wisdom of her actions on those walks and her words. In the vastness of the woods, it would have been easy to ignore the trash, assume it was someone else's job. It would have been easy to hide behind the fact that no one else knew we were there and we were picking it up. We could have just looked the other way. We could have given up at the size of the task, which was a large one. The trash was not ours. The woods were not ours. But indeed, the responsibility to keep it beautiful, to keep it clean, was ours, and one we shared. It was about doing what's right. It was about serving the greater good. It was about doing what we can to make the world the kind of place we want it to be. That's hard. Amy McGrath is someone I have followed and deeply admired for some time, and someone in my mind who personifies service. She served in the Marines for 20 years as a fighter pilot before serving as a congressional fellow and an instructor at the U.S. Naval Academy. Most recently, she ran for and lost U.S. Senate race against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, a tough race. In this conversation with Jerry, Amy talks about her new book, Honor Bound, an American Story of Dreams and Service, and really shares her own lifelong commitment to service, her love for this country, and her commitment to doing what she can to tend to the garden of democracy. It's an admirable and an amazing story, and a good reminder that to much is given, much is required. We need to do our part. Enjoy. 
feedback, such a fraught word. For some of us, the word evokes feelings of anxiety and unease, perhaps reminding us of past difficult conversations that have caused pain or damaged relationships. Others of us may hear an overused business buzzword. We've been told for years that feedback is important, that we should be better at giving it and better at receiving it. But what does that really mean? At Reboot, we believe feedback is really about relationships. To be good at giving and receiving feedback is to be good at relating effectively to others at work. In turn, we're able to get things done, make more of an impact in our organizations, and live more fulfilling lives. Join us this September 24th for our next virtual practical skills workshop, Reboot Your Feedback. We'll introduce you to the core feedback concepts and practices that have been foundational to our coaching and group work since Reboot's inception, and give you the tools for implementing these practices yourself. To learn more, register, or apply for a scholarship, head to reboot.io slash feedback. Hey, Amy, it's good to see you again. It's good to see you as well. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Let's take a minute and just, if you could introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure. Well, I'm Amy McGrath. Long story short, I'm a girl from Kentucky who left home at 18, uh, joined the United States military, uh, the Naval Academy, and then the Marine Corps, and followed my dream to become a fighter pilot, which at that time when I was growing up here, uh, wasn't available to women. So I sort of had to fight my way to, to get in the cockpit there and um, served for 24 years. Loved it. Met my husband along the way. Had three children at the end of my uh, military days and got out uh, in early 2017 of the military and moved back home to Kentucky and ran for political office. Uh, not once, but twice. Ran for a House seat and then a Senate seat uh, here in Kentucky and um, learned a lot in the process of uh, those things. So See, now, now what you did, Amy, was you confirmed for me the wisdom of my asking people to introduce themselves. Because what I loved about that, Amy, was you said, I'm a girl from Kentucky. And that was the basis. You know, I've had the great good fortune of having gotten to know you over these last few months and really uh, deep in my admiration for you. And one of the things that I've always enjoyed is the girl from Kentucky, because she does show up. (laughs) She she is there. And uh, uh, I'll say this out loud. Uh, I was a fan long before we met. Uh, because I was one of those people who got addicted to that viral video, your first campaign commercial when you're running for Congress. And uh, I remember you standing with a flight jacket, white shirt, I think, in front of a fighter jet and talking about uh, 9-11. So take us to that moment. Take us what was the message there? And tell us about that. Well, I think for me, um, when you asked me earlier how to define myself, I may start out by saying I'm a girl from Kentucky. But what what I really am more than that is an American, a patriot who loves yeah. her country and who's going to make me cry. Well, <laughs> and I was 
fortunate, right? I was fortunate to be able to serve my country in uniform. And I love that. But um, somebody who deeply believes in America, um, believes in American values and believes that those of us who are patriots have to stand up and do the hard things. Mm -hmm. And what I was trying to do in that video was obviously introduce myself to people and get them excited about my campaign, right? That's important. But it was also to inspire people, inspire Americans to love this country, to um, to look at somebody like me and, and think, okay, she was able to overcome obstacles to do these things. And that's what America is all about. And we need people who love this country to stand up and we need to support people um, who love this country and who are standing up, at least in a political sense at the time. So that was what the goal of that video was. 9-11, of course, is, is we're having the 20th anniversary here yeah. very shortly. And that was a time when I was a young first lieutenant, maybe a captain. I can't even remember when I got promoted in the Marine Corps. And I was very junior in my squadron. Uh, and 9-11 happened. I was stationed at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Diego, California. And uh, because we went, changed the DEFCON level that morning, uh, I got onto base before the base was shut down. And um, I was like selected. reporting for duty then? I was reporting for, when 9-11 happened, all of us who were air crew were called in by the operations duty officer said, get, get your rear end on base. You can, you can curse. I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> we need you. And I was, I lived close to the base, closer than many of the more senior officers lived. Wow. And so I got on into the ready room. I got into the squadron spaces within, you know, 10 or 15 minutes after being called. And some of the more senior officers and more senior aviators um, were locked out because they had locked the gates. So they didn't mean to do that. They, you know, it was, there was a lot of confusion on, as you know, on, on 9-11. And so the, the executive officer of the squadron looked around and didn't see many air crew to man the, the jets that had six air-to-air missiles uh, loaded up, ready to go. And he basically looked at me and said, go get in the cockpit. And I was the most junior, if not one of the most junior um, air crew in my squadron. So I'm sure I was not the one he wanted to pick for that mission. But nevertheless, for the next four hours, I sat on the runway um, as a weapon systems officer, a backseater in the F-18 at Delta, uh, runway two, four left at Miramar with six air-to-air missiles loaded up, ready to launch. Uh, to do the unthinkable, which would be, you know, shooting down an airliner potentially. And so that was that was my 9-11. And it really um, was a very dramatic time, obviously, and brought home to me just the magnitude of my job and what service to country means. Uh, and then, of course, after 9-11, we deployed again and again and again and again you know, to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly a turning point for me. And you were in Iraq? I first went to Kyrgyzstan um, mm-hmm. for Operation Enduring Freedom, which was our um, 
push into Afghanistan. Uh, it was early 2002. Uh, and I did my first combat tour there. And then my second combat tour was the initial push into Iraq, Operation mm. Iraqi Freedom in the spring of 2003. Mm. Um, and that was very intense. Uh, and after that, um, I did lots of training tours, became a front seater in the F-18, um, ended up doing. Now you need to explain combat. that. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I, and, and I will give the, the audience a, a clue. We're going to end up talking about your book, uh, Honor Bound, which is wonderful. And you do a great job of explaining to us non-military folks, backseaters and front seaters. So what's a front seater? Yeah. So do you remember the, the movie Top Gun? Okay. Sure. Most people do remember that. It was a different aircraft, but same concept, right? Mm. Um, in that movie, you, you saw F-14s, which were Navy fighter jets. In modern day, we have the F-18, which is a Navy and a Marine Corps fighter jet. And there are two-seat versions of that. Um, in the two-seat version, we do more complex missions than the single-seat version. Uh, and so that was my job for my first tour was to be a backseater, a weapons officer, run the radar, communication, the targeting, the systems. And then my second tour, I was a front seater. I was a pilot, the one um, flying the actual aircraft. So, And, and um, it was as rare as it was for a woman to be a backseater in the Marines, it was even rarer to be a front seater. Am I remembering? They were, they were, they had, they were both rare and it was even more rare to go from backseat to front seat. Normal Uh, um, folks don't do both, but, um, but I worked very hard. It was a dream I had since I was about 12 years old to be a a front seater. And, um, and I, I, you know, I, I loved doing that job. It was tough, but ultimately it was, it was serving the country. And that's probably what I loved the most about it. You know, that, and that's the second time you use this phrase, maybe the third time you use that phrase, serving the country uh, now. And, you know, we started off by talking about patriotism. And I asked you to tell the story because that was, that was my first real introduction to you was watching this viral YouTube video. Uh, and I think you may have been on uh, uh, Stephen Colbert uh, at one point. So I remember seeing that. And by the way, it worked. I sent money immediately. Um, and that was because I, I think you ran against Andy Barr. It wasn't because I didn't like Andy Barr. Later, we'll talk about running against Mitch McConnell, which is a different issue. But, but the reason that came to mind was not only did, did it help me understand who you are, not just were, but uh, you draw both in your book, Honor Bound, and across our conversations, you draw this connection, uh, embody this connection between honor, duty, patriotism, service, and leadership. And, and sure, you know, the 12-year-old girl wanted to be a front seater. Got it. But that could have ended but there's something else that animates you um, around this notion of service. And to, and to draw it out, what's the relationship between patriotism and service? So when I think about my life and I think about this country, 
one of my favorite quotes has always been in the back of my head and it's too much is given much is expected. Luke in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I have always felt like growing up here in Kentucky, I had been given much growing up in America. I had been given much and that patriotism is a verb. In other words, it is something that we have to continue to do to take care of our country, to do the hard things. Um, That to me was a duty. And so being able to serve in uniform and to do it in the toughest uh, service in the Marine Corps um, was very appealing to me. But even beyond my military days to stand up in a really tough political environment, even sometimes to stand up when you know, you know, some members of your family Mm. may not like it Mm. Um, and stand for something was really important. And to me, that's what patriotism was for me just in the last four years. And then when I think about going forward, Mm-hmm. You know, we have six months ago an insurrection at our capital that many people are just don't even want to talk about. Right. You know, this is a big deal. We have people who are literally trying to take voting rights away from folks. We have to be involved. And that's what patriotism is. It's it's the opposite of, well, that's somebody else's fight. You know, that's too much is going on. There's, there's too, politics is too dirty. I'm not going to be involved. I've got, I've got my own life and Mm. that's too hard. Or, you know, to me, it's, you have to be involved. This country needs you to be involved. And so that was when I, you know, decided, hey, I'm going to run. Uh, whether I win or lose, I'm going to make a difference. And I'm going to stand up and do what's right. And it was a duty. Both both campaigns. The the I'm going to read to you from your own book. There's so much emphasis these days on that word patriotism, but it seems as though the people who use the word the most understand it the least. Patriotism is the unwavering love of the place we call home, and true patriots honor the finest principles of that place. Real, heartfelt patriotism is why I joined the military and spent 24 years serving this country. In America, patriotism has always been about service, about skin in the game. It is, to me and the people I know, a verb. I thought about that as I reread the book and was thinking about our conversation today. And I also thought about January 6th. And um, we're talking now just a few days after Independence Day. And um, I did something this weekend that I don't, that I haven't done in many years. I hung an American flag outside my home. Good. 
because I have this image in my mind of people storming that Capitol. You know, on January 6th, I was transfixed like so many people just watching CNN as I did on 9-11. And watching people use an American flag as a spear against a police officer. And when I was thinking about speaking to you, I was thinking about this notion of service and uh, honor and patriotism. And I think more than the people who use the word the most understand it the least, there's a subversion that seems to be going on. There seems to be a, uh, a misappropriation of both the symbols of what this country stands for. You know, I think of my grandfather, who was an Italian immigrant, who would tip his hat every time we passed the Statue of Liberty, right? Who would put his hand over his heart every time he saw a flag. And he'd make the sign of the cross every time he passed a cemetery in a church, right? I, I think of, uh, of that. I think of my father and my uncles who served in World War II. I think of my father who, um, you know, was part of the team that went into Auschwitz after the camps were liberated. And as hard as that was, I know the pride he felt in being part of the force that ended that nightmare. Yeah. And that all seems lost right now. It's not lost. And it's not lost because people like you put your flag out. Okay? And we all are doing what we can do. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons I ran for office and one of the reasons I try to continue to do um, what I'm doing now, which is help other patriots run for office, um, is that I don't want that flag or those symbols or, or our America to be defined by those traitors yeah. who stormed the Capitol and had the, the balls to, to bring in the Confederate flag into the rotunda of our Capitol. Right. Um, to me, it is being honorable is taking a step back. You know you're in the right. We know we stand for, for the right things. We know we stand for this democracy and all of, of what it should be for. And making sure that we calmly continue the fight so that this country is the country that we are proud of, that our kids and our grandkids can look at and say, you know what, this country is not perfect but we're going to continue to make it more perfect. 
the founders when they founded our country, it certainly wasn't perfect. It and was racist they weren't perfect. and sexist That's and all right. kinds of That's But right. the principles are real. Yeah. That principle that all people are created equal. That principle of, of uh, equality, of a, a country ruled by, by laws, you know. That constitution yeah. above party. Exactly. And above individuals. All of that matters. But you know what? We, we take it for granted. And one of the yeah. things that I that I worry about with our country right now is the complacency. Complacency is um, a threat to us. I was uh, at my kids baseball practice uh, the other day and I was talking to a friend um, who was part of the, the parents and and she was lovely parent. And she says, you know. Um, I really thought, think we're going to, we're okay now. You know, I mean, Trump is gone and we've got Biden in here and, and I really haven't been paying much attention and uh, to, to politics and, and what's going on in the country. And I, and I thought, you know, it's great. I, I want to take a break too, believe me. Yeah. But um, I also wanted to tell her, it, you know, we still got to pay attention because we cannot get complacent and, that's what's going to to really hurt our country. It's it's um, I understand the wish to get relief from the tension of it. You know, um, four years under a president who did, who just fundamentally did not understand what we just said. And, you know, his statements about uh, those who served in the military as being suckers and losers, um, you know, whether he directly said those words or the fact is we can believe that he said those words because of other words we've heard him say. Um, that experience, the, it, was, it was exhausting to feel that, um, to have... Uh, civil rights attacked in the United States on a consistent, on an exaggerated basis, because they've always been under assault in so many ways and have always needed defending. But the rights of immigrants, the rights, the, the ability to participate on a world stage, to take our place, to live up to the sacrifice that my father and uncles made, whether they served in Europe or served in the Pacific, and what the ideals meant, as flawed as they were. But, you know, when those 19-year-old kids stormed the beach in Normandy, they weren't sitting there, you know, they, they, they were scared. Yeah. And maybe they weren't there by, by direct choice, but they were doing what was asked of them. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you tell the story about sitting in tents and, you know, in the Middle East and, and, and that experience. I want to bring it forward to the choice to serve uh, uh, in, in afterwards. And, you know, in our conversations, you've told me stories and you talk a little bit about this in the book about teaching at the academy. Mm-hmm. And you tell the story and we'd love to hear it again about having to teach about the constitution. 
Can you share that story? You know, I taught U.S. government and I taught constitutional development. And it was one of the courses I taught at, as well as a national security course. And I, you know, my students um, had really what I found was that they had really were losing or had lost faith in our political leadership that here I am at an institution where if you lie, cheat or steal, you know, you're kicked out mm. and you can fail tests. You can fail a physical test or, a, or, a, you know, um, a, a calculus test and remediate and be fine. But if you lie, you're going to an honor board. Mm. And so here I was an instructor teaching them about politics, but teaching them about our, our constitution and our government. And I realized that, you know, our political leaders, they, they didn't believe we, we had one side that was just spewing lies after, you know, and it was really hard for me at the end to, to be able to, to look them in the eye and, and try to be unbiased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to teach when, when you're, you're supposed to, to sort of present both sides and, and one side is, is so dishonest at an mm-hmm. institution where um, honor mm-hmm. and honesty matters. So that was the the time frame for me when I I said I really got to look and try to make a difference because these are the future leaders of our country. Mm. And if they don't believe that people who are political leaders uh they can't believe them. Mm-hmm. They don't think that these people need to have character and mm. honor and integrity. Where are we going? Um, so that was that was a, a big turning point for me. And I, I when I thought about making that jump from the military to politics, I was actually reading a book called The Matthews Men, mm-hmm. which was about the merchant marine men in during World War Two who were not a part of our armed forces, who did not get the benefit of being in the armed forces but yet suffered tremendous uh, loss of life in getting the logistics across the ocean that we needed. They, 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 they kept Europe, they kept the United Absolutely. Kingdom free. At enormous cost to their families and to their lives. And they did it because that was their duty. They were the men who knew how to do it. Okay. And so When I looked at, okay, I'm retiring. I've served 20 years in the military. I can get a modest uh, pension from my retirement. There's lots of of, uh, 40-something women out there who could run for office but can't do it because they're taking care of their kids or they can't, you know, but I can. Right. So I have to. Right. Because it's something I can do. It's something I'm passionate about. Uh, it's something I have the skills for and my country needs me. And that, you know, that was, that was the, the decision for mm. me at that time. Mm. Against pretty intense odds. I mean, you've yeah, never I, run for office before, right? Right. right. I mean, I, I um, but I'd also done some things that uh, had never been done before. 
um, by a woman and in the, in the Marine Corps. And, and, and so I felt like I knew how to face obstacles. I knew what hard work was and that I could tackle it. And ultimately we did. And I'll tell you that um, even though we lost both campaigns, um, we really ran races that I'm extremely proud of where, you know, the political wins move a certain way. You don't, you're not always able to, um, you know, you're not always able to, to determine it based on, how good of a candidate or how hard you work. Sometimes it's the political winds of where you're running, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And who you're running against. I mean, in the Senate campaign, um, you ran against Mitch McConnell, who is arguably, even as a minority leader, one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful, because of the way he wields power. Um, and the fact that you made it as far as you made it running against him, I found it extraordinary. Um, and your willingness to run against someone like that was extraordinary. Well, for me, it was about, I am here. I can do this. I must try. I must try to make a difference. And we were in a position to win had the, had the winds blown a certain way. Yeah. Um, and we knew that that was, um, that was always going to be the case. You know, we didn't, but, but in, a, in the, the world of Trump being as volatile politically as anything else, it could have easily gone another way. Yeah. But you have to get yourself through hard work into a position where you can win and make a difference. And we were there. And so I'm really proud of that. And we, you know, part of this running for office stuff is not just winning or losing. Some of it is getting your voice out there, speaking, speaking up. You know, here in Kentucky, I've had people come up to me and say that they registered to vote for the first time because they were inspired by my campaign. They never had uh, a candidate to, that they really supported or wanted to get behind. And so part of it is just waking people up to our democracy and to what the role is that everybody can play in that democracy, you know, more than just voting. Sometimes it's donating. Sometimes it's being a part of a campaign. Sometimes it's just reading more about the issues and what's going and, on. And forcing yourself to be more informed. And so, you know, part of what I'm hearing and it doesn't surprise me, is an expanded definition of success. You know, we, we, we spoke after the loss, and I know personally it stung, it hurt, and it was hard. Um, and I imagine it was hard because you know you'd be a great senator. You and I both know you'd be a great senator. And the country is missing your service in that way. But I don't think the story's over. It's just all I'll say. <laughs> um, but part of what I hear you doing is not, it's not a, like a consolation. It's, it's a definition of success that is actually in some ways links right back to service, links right back to honor. 
which is that winning would have been great. Losing sucked. But trying was the service. That's right. The actual act of running, being a part of our democracy in that form, is a service to country. And that leads me now into what I am trying to do with uh, Honor Bound Inc., which is um, a C4 organization that uh, has the same title as the title of my book, but its its goal is to inspire others who have served this country, who know what it's like to, to serve, um, to put the country above themselves or their party, et cetera, to think about running and being a part of our democracy by running for office, to think about that as a service and to do it. Because how many times have you gone to vote and you just look at the ballot and you're like, my gosh, we can't get anybody good to get on the ballot. You know, there's lots of people that, you know, you want to vote against maybe, but who are you really for? And, and so, you know, to try to inspire people to, to be, part of my job to inspire people to love our country and believe in our democracy is to help candidates who I think um, understand what honor is and integrity just by the way they've lived their lives to think about running and to support them in running. Because at the end of the day, yes, Jerry, I would have loved to have been a Senator. I would have loved it. I feel like I could have done a lot of good for this country, but it was never about me. It was about getting better leaders for our democracy, this great, awesome country that we love, that has that amazing flag that we fly, that I'm proud of. I want leaders I'm proud of, and I wanna help get them elected. And so that's what this is about. And, you know, Amy, early on, I said to you, I can't do what you can do, but I can do what I do, which is to talk with people like you to, to support the process of becoming those stronger leaders. And, you know, I'll build upon what you're saying, which is that, that, that those listening who might be inspired to run, God bless you go. But those listening who also, like me, can't run, be inspired to be informed, be inspired to be engaged, be inspired to go into that voting booth or, depending on your state, vote from home because, thank goodness, we can still do stuff like that in certain areas. Go and be informed. That is a way of serving as well. That's right. And, and, and looking into and supporting organizations that um, are supportive of our democracy, because this is a long, this is going to be a long fight. You know, one of the things that I talk about in my book is that, you know, I don't, I never got anything overnight. It is a long, hard struggle. But those of us who are patriots are going to have to pick up the pack. And that means you know, yes, of course, vote. Yes, of course, be informed. But if you can do more, 
do more. The single most important thing, the, the way we have our voice heard in this democracy that is voting, one, number one. Beyond that, what can you do? Well, you can support others that run, um, whether they're direct support to candidates or that you like and that you agree with and that you are believe in, but it's also to organizations that are supporting candidates that you can believe in. I mean, a lot of people don't have the um, time to look up candidates and figure out what what's viable, what what you know is this race winnable and that sort of thing. And so there are organizations out there um, that will help with leadership development and help with um, helping people um, get into office. You know, my organization is one of them, but there's a number of other ones. And so that's that's what it takes, you know. Or if you're somebody that wants to focus on structural change. For example, you, you, you want to get rid of gerrymandering like me, or you want to get rid of the money problem in politics that we have. There are organizations that, that are out there lobbying and, and trying to make those things happen and making good progress on some of these issues. But again, it's going to require engagement from patriots. You know, I, I often think of the difference between, say, um, a military operation and policing. You know, a military operation theoretically has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But policing doesn't actually end. It's a practice. It's taking care of. It's in service of. And when, you know, separate conversation, but when the military does policing, it's confusing. And when police do military operations, it can be confusing. But when you think about just think about the word a moment. You know, here's another word that comes to mind. The democracy needs to be tended to, yeah. like a garden needs to be weeded. Yeah. You know, uh, right now, you know, Sam Clark, my neighbor, is bailing the hay at our pastures right now. You know, the pastures need to, need to be tended to constantly. And, that, and that's not a problem. That's the honor. It's an honor to serve, to tend the garden of the democracy. Because we get to enjoy the fruits of that. That have been, that we have inherited. That's you know, the, the founders gave us a great framework and then they moved on. You know, we fought a civil war um, and we had patriots, United States Army that defeated a rebellious um, secessionist that was, was trying to, you know, continue in the enslavement of other human beings. Um, that's our legacy. Uh, and they handed that to us. And then we had the greatest generation that that, you know, fought for our country and our democracy overseas um, against fascism. Uh, and, and world domination by, you know, the Nazis and, um, and, and then built, literally built the world that we enjoy today with the, um, you know, free trade system. And, uh, and I feel like, again, there's some, some, it's easy to get complacent and to say, you know, there, there's no battle for us, but there is. It's our job. It's, it's my generation's job 
to continue to protect this democracy. It's what my life has been about, you know, in uniform and out of uniform. And being a part, an active part of what is going on in this country um, politically is absolutely protecting this country. It's so it's, important. I mean, think about the, the misinformation that's out there. Think about how much uh, even other countries like Russia are pumping in disinformation to divide us, to weaken our democracy, to weaken our systems um, of government. And only we, we are the ones that have to stand up and, and fight it. And we have to do it consistently. I often think of my uh, teacher, Parker Palmer, who has this beautiful image uh, that he calls a tragic gap. And the gap is between the world as it is and the world that we know is possible. And he says that we're all called to stand in the tragic gap. Um, uh, because on the one hand, um, if we give up and give in to the world as it is, we give over to corrosive cynicism. And if we stay fixated only on the world as it can be, this perfect idealized country, for example, then we give up, we give over to a kind of irrelevant idealism. And, and I think what we're both getting to is that, you know, one of the greatest expressions of service and honor and duty is to actually stand in that gap knowing that this country can be really screwy, but that doesn't mean it's not worth tending to. And so the, you know, the gap in a sense is between complacency, which you have seen on the one hand, the relaxation of, of being vigilant. And I would say on the other hand, a cynicism. Why should I try anything? Why should I run? Why should I vote? I mean, my God, if we haven't learned why you should vote, you know, uh, and yet we, what we have to do is we have to stand in the middle between those two places. And I think you said it well. The service is in the trying, not in the winning. Right. We have this phrase in the, in the Navy and the Marine Corps and the military, it's, it's called being on watch being on duty. And if you think of, you know, our generation as being the generation that is, is inheriting this country right now. Okay. Um, I very much take it personally, what happens to our democracy. Mm -hmm. And so I look at things like January 6th, and I look at the misinformation and I look at the ripping apart of um, sort of the basic principles of our democracy right now. And I think to myself, oh, no, no, not on my watch. I'm not going to let this happen on my watch. I'm going to do everything I can to protect this country. And I think that, you know, we don't have a right to give up. Um, we're not fighting the Nazis. We're not, you know, in a civil war the, the way we were in 1863. Um, but the threats to this country are still real and they're coming from within. 
And when I think about the, my friends who I have lost in Iraq and Afghanistan, who are gone, I'm here and they're gone. And I owe it to them to do everything I can um, to protect our democracy and to not give up. Well, Amy, I, I want to thank you not only for coming on the show and talking about your life and beliefs, um, but I also want to thank you for the service, um, for a lifetime commitment to things that matter, for your integrity, um, for your sacrifice, and I want to thank you for becoming my friend. Um, you've taught me a lot about leadership. Not in, in an intellectualized way, but in an embodied way. And uh, that is deeply moving to me and very profound. It's an honor to be with you, not just for this show, but on an ongoing basis. Well, I'm... I really appreciate that, Jerry. And one of the things that you do such a good job of is getting to the heart of what this is all about. Why are we doing this? What is this all about? And there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about the why for me. Um, and if you bring it all the way back, it's what kind of country do you want our children to inherit because we are the ones that inherited this that we have now. What are we gonna give to them? And um, you've helped me remember that about what I've tried to do in the last four years and hopefully what I'll try to do in the future. Oh, I am keeping an eye on you because I know there's a future there. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Ready for a more in-depth journey of radical self-inquiry? We've developed a new free five-day email course designed to explore and work with your shadow. Get started at reboot.io slash shadow.